Matthew 24, verses 1 through 34. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to you this morning as we look to your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to teach us uh, we're ever so mindful of the difficulty of this particular section of Matthew's gospel, Lord. So we ask that, Lord, you would instruct us and guide us uh, 
uh, amidst all of these various mysteries, O oh Lord. We pray that uh, you would give us hearts and minds of understanding and that uh, we would not miss the main things here, O oh Lord, but we pray that you would press them upon our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, last week we, we came to what is arguably the most difficult section of Matthew's gospel. And um, uh, Jesus uh, makes a number of predictions here. And some of these predictions will pertain to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. And some of these predictions pertain to uh, the second coming of Christ. And one of the perplexing things about this particular text is where to apply what? Uh, is Jesus making reference to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, or is he making reference to his second coming? Uh, so there's a, uh, there's a lot of difficulty here. Um, there's a difficulty with timing and a difficulty with uh, discernment. Uh, the finest biblical scholars and interpreters all through church history have struggled with this text. Uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult text. But having said all that, there's a couple of very powerful lessons uh, in this text, and I think that it's wise to keep the plain things the main things. You'll hear people say that sometimes. Uh, I, I can't be dogmatic about every one of these verses. Uh, quite frankly, some of these verses are quite mysterious to me. I, uh, and the, the more you read, I think it's Timothy Keller that says you read one book and you're a clone. You read two books and you're confused. Um, if you've ever studied any particular subject, you've had that experience. Uh, one book, you think you got it. All right, great. You consult another book on the subject, and, and where are you? Um, if you look at commentaries on Matthew 24, you're going to find out that they're, they're really all over the place, even among the finest of commentaries. Uh, but all of this having been said, uh, there is a clear message here, and we can be dogmatic about the clear message, the overarching message. Uh, usually, as time permits, when I'm preparing for a sermon, I always like to uh, try to read a couple of sermons that have been preached on the particular text that I'm going to be uh, preaching on. And um, I, I have done that with Matthew 24, and I've encountered sermons that really do nothing more than kind of prevent a theory uh, on how all of this lays out, a theory on the scheme, if you will, or a theory on how all of these events play out. Uh, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't think that feeds us. Uh, I, I, will, um, I, I will share some things as we go through this, but I, I want to do so with the overarching message as, as really uh, uh, the main point. As we go through this, I think you're going to quickly see that uh, Jesus has a really important message for us, and I don't want to, in the midst of all the mysteries of this text, I don't want to lose scope of that main point that's very clear. Uh, so the approach I want to use this morning really is simply to run down through these verses, and uh, I'll offer some comments on them as we go so that we begin to familiarize ourselves with the flow of thought of this, of this section. And uh, as we do this, we're going to see these these lessons that Christ has for us quite clearly. Uh, may the Holy Spirit empower us uh, to this end. Um, our text begins, as we, as we looked at last time, uh, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, and Jesus has just told the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that, uh, that uh, basically the, the house is going to be left desolate. Uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, the temple 
uh, all of these complexes uh, are, are going to be uh, made desolate. The word there is uninhabitable, uh, is basically what it means. And if we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, uh, we, we're going to be, uh, this is going to be reverberating in our minds. And of course, we see this happening in verse 2 of Matthew 24. Uh, the, the, the disciples there, or verse 1 rather, the disciples are asking Jesus, they're saying, uh, you know, when, when will all of these things happen? Uh, when are these things going to be? Uh, when is this going to take place? Um, and Jesus is telling them, he, he, he's sharing with them, he's, you know, as they're pointing to these, uh, to these, uh, these ma- magnificent buildings, uh, Jesus is, is telling them, listen, this is, this is going to be so scattered, this, this destruction is going to be so thorough that not one of these stones is going to be sitting on top of another one. And you remember last week I described some of the stones. Scholars tell us that some of those stones were 85 feet long. You know, it's, it's quite amazing to, to, to try to take in how they ever got those stones on top of one another. How did they quarry these things? How did they stack them on top of each other? Many of the stones were 30 and 40 feet long. And they, and they, they were made of white marble and they, 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 they stacked perfectly on top of one another. And we can imagine these marvelous structures, these beautiful structures. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling you, not one of these stones is going to be on top of another stone. Uh, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. What are you going to? What are you going to be wondering? Well, you're going to be wondering when. And of course, that's what they ask. They ask really three intriguing questions. Uh, sometimes people will say there are two questions here. Uh, I, I don't want to make much of that. I, I, uh, for the sake of the sermon, let's look at it as three questions. They, they ask, "When will these things be?" In verse three, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the close of the age? Uh, it's important that we don't miss that because what Jesus is going to say from this point on through Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is a response to those questions. We need to keep that in mind as we're trying to sort this out. Jesus is answering that inquiry uh, the disciples are asking. And in verse 4 and following, Jesus begins his answer. And if you look to verse 4 with me, the first thing that we hear from Jesus is the first lesson to be gained from this passage. What does it say? See that no one leads you astray. The church is always at risk of being led astray. It always has been. Now, the Apostle Paul, we might think of, of Paul as he meets with the elders in Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 20. Uh, what does he say to them? He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Paul's warning of two dangers. He's warning of false teachers who will come from, with, from outside of the church into the church. And he is speaking of probably the much more dangerous false teachers will be those who are already within the church. Um, every generation... Uh, throughout church history has had to deal with this, including our own. We're dealing with this right now. Uh, so Jesus is saying here uh, this important message that needs shouted from the housetop, see that no one leads you astray. And I would, I would submit to you that this is the overarching message of this whole passage uh, that we need to always keep in the forefront. 
um, attempts to deceive are many. Uh, this makes sense of verses 5 and following. Jesus says, you know, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. See, there's a promise. What's Jesus promising in this verse? But many are going to be led astray. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. Uh, and then there's a second important lesson here. Uh, see that you're not alarmed by this. Uh, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8, all these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Uh, the things that are described so far are things that have occurred in every generation of church history. In fact, the way news travels today, we're not really that alarmed by any of these things, are we? Uh, we, we hear about this uh, all the time. Uh, in this age, there's nothing unusual about war, or rumors of war, or natural catastrophes. We have cable stations that make a living off natural catastrophes. Uh, we, can, we can really see them in depth uh, like, uh, like uh, no generation has ever been able to see these things. And we can study these things. Uh, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, many will fall away and betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There's a sermon waiting to be preached on verse 12, isn't there? Every time I come to verse 12, I pause and say that to myself. Uh, uh, because, the, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow old. We see a relationship between lawlessness and cold hearts, uh, lawlessness and love. Maybe someday we'll look at that in depth. Verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, be careful that we don't trip over that verse. It's not teaching that we can gain salvation through endurance. Uh, we have to take that verse and we have to carefully understand it through the scrutiny of the rest of the scriptures. Nobody is saved by endurance. We're not saved by perseverance. Endurance and perseverance are marks of saving faith. If we're in possession of true saving faith, we will persevere. But perseverance in itself doesn't save us. Let's be careful that we understand that. Is everybody okay with that? I'm getting mixed stares. Chris is smiling. He's okay with it. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> you got a great smile there, Chris. <laughs> Verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Of course, we, we see this. Uh, the gospel is to go out, uh, and then the end will come. Now, that little phrase at the end of verse 13, I think is giving us uh, some information here about which question Jesus is answering. Uh, he's answering the end, the end of the age. In other words, the end of this particular age that we're in right now, where wars and rumors of war uh, will be circulating Natural catastrophes will be happening uh, where all of these uh, various uh, 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 persecutions will be taking place. Uh, so all of the things up to this point are, are pointing. They're signs that we're in the end times right now. Uh, so far, Jesus has warned us not to be led astray uh, by all of this. Um, now, there's a powerful word here for us. If you're uh, in the business of sharing your faith much, it isn't going to be long before you're going to encounter somebody who's going to, who's going to be really wrestling with this, this very thing. They're going to be saying, you know, if God is so powerful like you Christians say he is, 
and he is so good, how can all of these things take place? You watch the news, you see the, 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 the terrible things that are going throughout this, throughout this globe. Jesus is addressing that here, isn't he? He's making it very clear that in this era, in this age, it's going to be this way. This is the way it's going to be. He's saying, do not be alarmed. These are what? These are birth pains. These are the birth pains before the consummation. We can't answer the question why these things happen. Uh, We can't answer the question why a tsunami hits a, a shore on the other side of the globe and causes all the terrible suffering. We can't answer why other than saying it's the result of, of humanity's rebellion against God. That's all the farther that we can go, and it would be cruel to go any further than that. But what we can say is, listen, Jesus has made it clear this is the way it's going to be until he returns. These are the signs of the times. This is the way the times are going to be until he returns. Don't be alarmed by this. It's a powerful word here. Uh, Today, we're comfortable with it. Tomorrow, we could be rattled by this. Uh, All it takes is something terrible to happen in our lives, and we can be rattled. Uh, That's why we dare not miss these or skip these verses. That's why we take, as I shared with Donald just a little bit ago, if if you go verse by verse through the books, you preach through the books. You don't ignore these kinds of texts. You know, what, what, what are we going to be doing next time? I'm locked in. I have to, next time we're going to pick up right here where we left off next time. Uh, that keeps me studying. That keeps all of us learning. And as a result of this, we're always getting the full counsel of God, aren't we? It's so important that we have these messages. Uh, uh, if God is so powerful, how can, how can he let all this happen? Jesus has made it clear this is the way it's going to be. Okay, that's about all the further we can go, but I think it's really helpful to take people by the hand and say, listen, I want to show you something. There's a lot of things in here that are mysterious, but there's something here that's very clear. What's very clear is Jesus doesn't want us to be alarmed by this. Don't be alarmed by this. Don't be deceived by this. Don't be deceived by those, those uh, false teachers that would tell you, listen, God's not powerful. God is not in control. Don't listen to that. Don't be, don't be tempted. Uh, In verse 15, Jesus turns their attention to the destruction of Jerusalem, of which he's he's been prophesying. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the whole place, let the reader understand. Uh, If there's something that's probably pretty clear here, the reader doesn't understand. Uh, It it might not be so clear to you. If it's not, uh, uh, that's okay. Um, there's a lot of things in here that, are, uh, that, that, that sound strange to us. I don't think they would have been quite so strange to us had we lived in the first century, though. Uh, Daniel's prophecy uh, would have been something that was, would have been held very tightly and closely uh, to our hearts. Daniel, if you're familiar with uh, uh, chapters 8 through, uh, through 12, uh, Daniel gives some amazing and striking uh, prophecies in those chapters that are, that are difficult to understand for us. But um, God had very lovingly uh, gave those prophecies to his people for that period of time, and not just for that period of time, but for all time, but to take so that the people of, of Israel could be led through the difficult centuries that would be ahead. Uh, if, if you're familiar with Daniel at all, you realize that during Daniel's life, 
Uh, Israel had went from a really uh, still an independent state. They were, they were under a lot of foreign oppression towards the beginning of Daniel's life anyway, but they were still somewhat independent. They went from being independent to being under Babylonian control, and then from being under Babylonian control to being mer- under Medo-Persian control in Daniel's lifetime. And to put that into context, it would be like us enjoying our, the independence that we have right now and then suddenly being under the control of, uh, uh, of another nation, perhaps China, and then uh, only 70 years later finding ourselves, or 60 years later finding ourselves under, uh, uh, under another uh, a nation. There would be difficult times, would it not? Uh, very difficult times. And these prophecies are given to uh, take, um, to lovingly prepare the people for these difficult times. And one of the most significant of these prophecies was the abomination of desolation. Jesus is drawing from a couple places in Daniel as he uh, gives us verse 15. And one of those places is Daniel 11, verse 31, which reads this way. It says, Forces from him shall appear... And profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, what is that all about? Well, uh, what this is about is somebody is going to come into Jerusalem, and they're going to desecrate the temple vicinity. They're going to to desecrate the temple. They're going to render the temple unclean. Uh, This would have been something... Uh, that would have been almost absolutely unthinkable to us, uh, that anyone would come in and do that. Uh, and uh, around 163 B.C., history offers us at least a partial fulfillment of this. Uh, the, an ancient pagan ruler uh, named Antiochus Epiphanes came in and did do just that. He built an altar to the Greek god Zeus, and he offered swine uh, on that altar in the temple precincts. Uh, there, there would be little that you could do uh, to more thoroughly uh, desecrate the temple than to do that. Uh, so we have a, a, a partial uh, fulfillment of this text. And I say partial because here in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is speaking of a future desecration of the temple. Now Jesus is speaking almost 200 years later of this future desecration of the temple. What is he referring to? Again, you can look at the history and you can see that there are probably several events that we could probably point to and say, yeah, that's, uh, 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 th- that could at least be an, a partial fulfillment. But I think, I think what Jesus has in mind here is the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, uh, namely the Roman armies as they came into the temple uh, precincts. They came in carrying these images of, of the emperor uh, who was worshipped by these images by carrying those things in and parading through the temple vicinity with these things and in the temple precincts with these things, that would have rendered that temple uh, ceremonially unclean. Uh, This would be the abomination that makes uh, desolate. Now, let's not forget what Jesus is doing here. It's very easy to forget. Uh, That's why I want to remind us. He's answering the disciples' questions, namely, when will all these things happen? Um, Well, this is... uh, This is what Jesus is going to answer here in verses 16 and following. He says in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. You see that? Look down to verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. See, obviously this is a sign of when this this is going to happen. Uh, When you see this, 
flee to the mountains. Verse 17, let the one who is on the housetops not go down to take what is his. Uh, it, it, it seems kind of strange for anyone to be on the roof. You know, if you happen to be on the roof, you know, um, don't go get your goodies. Just flee out of there. We, we look at them and think, wait, the only time I'm on my roof is when I'm working on the roof. Well, that's, uh, the roofs were flat and they served as porches in that culture. You know, in the, in the cool of the evenings, people would go up on their roof like we go out to our porch. Uh, that's, that's what's going on there. If we wanted to put this in context of today's uh, culture, if you're on your porch and you see these things, uh, don't go inside. Scram. Scram. Verse 18, let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. In verses 19, Jesus expresses concern for women who are pregnant, for nursing babies. In verse 20, he says, he counsels them to pray that their flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath when travel is much more difficult. Then in verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, it never will be. Uh, what's Jesus doing here? He's warning his people that this event is going to be so horrific that uh, uh, when you see these signs coming, uh, don't wait a second. Uh, scram. And uh, history tells us that's exactly what uh, Christians did. Many Christians were spared these horrific events because they fled out of Jerusalem for the hills of the Transjordan. The same places where they, uh, they had hid uh, a couple of centuries earlier uh, during the, the revolts that took place then. And they were spared of the uh, horrific events. Uh, the uh, Jewish historian Josephus gives us many of the details of those things. I'm going to spare you those details because they're very gory. If you're interested in looking at them, you do a simple search on the internet and uh, within seconds you'll have some of that information. Uh, all I want to say about it is it was terrible. It was beyond comprehension, uh, the destruction uh, that, uh, that, that took place there. The, the temple was set on fire. The fire melted the gold that was on the roof of the temple and throughout the temple. And that gold actually, as it melted, ran in between the stones. And the Roman armies literally ripped those stones apart to get all that gold. And uh, that temple was sacked exactly like Jesus said it would be. When they were done, there was not a stone left upon another stone. It's quite amazing. Uh, now, remember what I said at the beginning. One of the tough things about interpreting this passage is discerning what verses correspond to the destruction of the temple, what verses correspond to Christ's second coming at the end of the age. I'm trying to make that distinction. And uh, this is one of those verses here uh, in verse 22, 21, I'm sorry. Uh, notice he says, then there will be great tribulation. See the word great tribulation. Um, that nothing like it has occurred up to that time or nothing like it will ever happen again. Um, okay. Um, is this event as horrific as it was? In A.D. 70, is it the, the question before us now, is that the worst thing that's ever going to happen uh, throughout humanity before the consummation of the kingdom, before Jesus comes back? Is that the worst thing? Seems to be, Jesus seems to be suggesting that that's the worst thing that will happen. But as we study the rest of the Bible, uh, we, we find some tension here. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians speaks of an apostasy, an apostasy that will take place. The book of Revelation speaks of a, 
of a tribulation that will take place. Now, people understand this in various ways, and I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but it seems like there's, uh, there's going to be a great tribulation before the, the coming, the return of Christ that will involve all nations, not just Israel. And that's probably the position most of us have. Now, can you see the tension here? Clearly, Jesus is pointing to the destruction of the temple here. But the things that he is saying, they also point further on, don't they? And some skeptics will say, look at this. Jesus is, Jesus is predicting he will return upon the, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he didn't return. So see, he's not, a, he's not a true prophet. He's not the true prophet of God. Well, we need not go there. Again, remember what the overarching message of this whole text is. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. How are we to make sense of this? I think that the, the abomination of desolation that we've already looked at gives us some, some of the keys to understanding this. The prophet Daniel in the 6th century prophesies of this desecration of the temple. Okay, we have a partial fulfillment of that in 163 B.C. But here we have Jesus coming along probably in around 33 A.D. making this making this prediction that there's going to be another one. So what we learn from this is that some of these prophetic utterances can have more than one, one fulfillment, one historical fulfillment. That's why I was careful to use the language uh, of this desecration of the temple with the altar of Zeus as a partial fulfillment. Now, I think the full fulfillment of the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 11 and 12 takes place at the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Now, when Jesus brings up this great tribulation, what is he talking about? Well, I think the same thing is going on. That what he is saying is that there's going to be a great tribulation, and this tribulation that takes place in AD 70 is going to foreshadow uh, the tribulation uh, that takes place at the end of time. Now, if you, if, you, if you believe that there's going to be a great tribulation right at the end of the time, or you believe that we're in the midst of it now in various places, however you, uh, the, within Christianity, within the scope of Christianity, there's some leeway there to understand those verses. Um, but I think what we have going on here is we, we see that um, there's a partial fulfillment here, and that's how we should understand these verses. So in other words, the great tribulation of AD 70 is a foreshadow of the great tribulation that, uh, that is to come. Uh, and we could point to a lot of different places in church history uh, where times got rough and times got terrible. And uh, I think we can see that going on right now with the, uh, the beheading of the Coptic Christians uh, over in Egypt, uh, in Libya. Uh, things, are, things are somewhere, things are always rough someplace. Now, again, Jesus' overarching message is do not be led astray. If you look at verse 23 and following, Jesus picks up this point again. That's why I'm insisting that this is the major uh, overarching message of the whole thing. Look what he says in verses 23. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. You see that subject being picked up again? If possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. With the destruction of the temple, Jesus, uh, Jesus understands that this is going to be a breeding ground for all kinds of false messiahs and false Christs to be popping up all over the place. And he's warning everybody, don't be deceived, don't be led astray. Jesus is showing his disciples that the destruction of the temple is not the end. 
And this would have been a very important word for them. He continues in verse 24. If they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, he's protecting his people uh, from all of these claims. The people say, well, the Christ is, he, he, you know, he, he's over here, he's over there, or he's back in this room somewhere. No, Jesus is saying no. Uh, when I return, everyone's going to know. No one's going to need to, no one's going to need to get this second hand. However Jesus is going to return, I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but what I do know and what these verses teach us is this going to be very visible. It's going to be visible to us all. Uh, so uh, do not be led astray. And again, uh, we need to remember the three questions Jesus is answering here. One of them was, what will be the sign of your coming? And verse 27 uh, answers that. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, verse 29, and we're almost through here. I know this is a lot of information. Verse 29, we have another passage where discernment is required. Notice that Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You see that? I guess very clearly... Uh, we, we have to ask our quest, ourselves a question, what's meant by those days? What days is Jesus talking about? Some interpret those days as the days of A.D. 70 when the, Jerusalem, when the temple will be destroyed. And I, I don't think that's correct. And the reason I don't think that's correct is because, of the, is because of the context. If you look at verse 30, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. See, all the tribes of the earth, uh, this is more global. Doesn't it seem more global than, than, uh, than what we have in A.D. 70, which is really limited to, a, it's, the geography of A.D. 70 is limited to Palestine. Um, and then furthermore, if you, if you look further, um, Jesus says then his angels with a loud trumpet call will gather his elect from all four corners. I think what's going on here is the end of the age. Um, interpreters and biblical scholars who have forgotten more than I am, have ever learned uh, disagree with me on that. So I'm just sharing that as my opinion. That's what I think. Uh, I'm not alone in this. There are a lot of people that, that take the position I've just given. Um, so I think we should understand Jesus is referring to the, the events that are surrounding his second coming here. But I think there's something interesting going on. I, I think that there is some foreshadowing taking place. Because with the destruction of the, of the temple, there's great tribulation. And it could be said that Jesus has come in this sense. He came in judgment, like he said he would in AD 70. Uh, and the call of the promise of the gospel to go out. It go, it, the, the gospel was going out. It had already been going out uh, for uh, really almost 40 years prior to this event. Now, of course, at the end, when Jesus does return, at the end of this, uh, then, then we have the angels gathering the elect. We have uh, these things taking place. Verse 32 and 33 lead up to one of the most difficult texts in the chapter. If you look at verse 32 with me, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Then Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And I think you can see the difficulty in verse 34. 
Uh, this generation will not uh, pass away until all these things take place. What's meant by this generation is the question that Bible scholars have been asking for many centuries. And there are a number of schemes, a number of, uh, of theories on that. I, I'll share two of them with you. Um, one maintains that this generation are the Jews living at the time, and that all of this takes place in AD 70. Um, uh, another answer defines the word generation as the Jewish people. And of course, this is one of the meanings of the Greek word there. It could mean race. It could mean a people group. Um, according to this view, what Jesus is saying is that the Jewish people will not be eradicated before he returns. Uh, I don't know if that's so far-fetched because look at all of the attempts there's been throughout history to do just that, to destroy the Jews. We think especially in, uh, uh, in the 20th century where six million Jews were slaughtered. Um, Jesus is promising that there will be Jews. When he returns, that there will be Jewish people on this, in this world. Uh, he's making that promise, I, I think, is what's going on. But whatever position we take, and we can, we can debate that over lunch, and believe me, it could go on well over lunch. Whatever position we take, I want to go back to the overall message that I, that I think Jesus is pushing here. Do not be led astray. You know, it's fair, and we can, we can debate many of these things, and I don't want to be dogmatic about any of them, uh, but I do want to be dogmatic about this. Jesus is telling us of the warning uh, not to be led astray, not to be alarmed. I think that is the, the major overarching message here. You know, as I, as I move to close, I'm thinking of some words that I read a long time ago that were, that were uttered by Charles Spurgeon, the uh, great English preacher of the 19th century. Uh, he said some of these, in terms of some of these passages like this, we might have to wait until we get a little more light. Um, that, that has always stuck with me. But I think that Spurgeon would agree that that overall message that we have here this morning, don't be led astray. Uh, let, let's be mindful of the danger uh, of being led astray. Don't be led astray. Uh, don't be uh, alarmed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we hear you loud and clear, though there's many things that, uh, we, may not, uh, that we may not fully understand. There are many things here that are couched in mystery. Uh, but Lord, we hear your, your overarching message is loud and clear to us, the dangers of being led astray. And we look to you this morning, Lord, that, uh, that uh, we, we won't be alarmed by these things, that we will not be led astray by them. And I, I pray that if, uh, uh, Lord, as we encounter folks that uh, perhaps are, are tripping over some of these issues and in danger of being led astray, who have been led astray, uh, by the catastrophes that are taking place, by the, uh, the wars and the, the uh, rumors of wars and uh, the various persecutions, Lord. I pray that you would give us a word for them, O oh Lord, that, uh, Lord, we would not be uh, led astray, that we would not be alarmed. And we, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand if you're able to join us in singing our closing hymn. My hope is built on nothing less.